This morning, we are going to be continuing our series on growing maturity. For Lent, we've been uh, talking through a number of areas uh, related to maturity. Um, Andrew Gross, one of our elders, did a marvelous job of kind of introducing us to the topic and provided us with a, a spiritual adventure workbook, which you can still a few available in the back that you can pick up on your way out. If you haven't gotten one, I encourage you to get one. And so um, each week, we've been looking at different areas and different disciplines to help us in those areas. So we've looked at, Pastor Ben shared with us about spiritual maturity, uh, our outside apostolic oversight, Dale Van Steenis came in and shared with us about stewardship maturity. I spoke on vocational maturity. Andrew shared again a couple weeks ago about emotional maturity. And uh, last week, I shared about mental maturity. And this morning, uh, we're privileged to welcome uh, one of our, our, in fact, our newest elder. Um, and she's not old. She's, like, youngish. And, uh, and uh, uh, Sarah Gross, who is uh, married to Andrew. And uh, Sarah uh, has just a, a long history and life in this church for over 20 years. And uh, in her work, uh, vocationally and occupationally, uh, God has given her uh, just the opportunity to really drill down deep into our topic for today. And so that's why we wanted to invite Sarah to come and share with us on relational maturity this morning. And uh, so join me in welcoming Sarah, and then we're going to pray on her this morning as she prepares. In the word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your servant whom you have called, Lord, uh, for this day, for this hour, for this word, to this house. So, Lord, uh, we open our hearts with gratefulness to the word that you have to bring to us through her, uh, thanking you, Lord, that your word is true and it is life, and we receive it today with joy. So come now, minister to us, Lord, out of, uh, out of your word and through your servant. I just pray that there will just be a clarity and uh, that, Lord, you will confirm that in our heart and that we will not only hear but obey and receive and do the word that you've taught us to do today. So we welcome you, Lord Jesus, our living word, right now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Good morning. I am Sarah Gross, as Pastor Jim said. I'm the newest elder here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself vocationally because it has a lot to do with what I'm going to talk about today. I've been in the field of social work slash therapy, psychotherapy, for about 20 years. And I currently serve as the executive director of a large Christian therapy program. We have about 50 therapists, eight locations. And so a lot of what I'm going to talk about today comes from just what I've gleaned about watching situations, patterns, themes over the years. And that the therapy really is a vocation. It's not just this job that I have. And kind of a, you know, funny Fun fact about me, when I was a kid growing up, my family thought I would be one of two things. Either a banker, because I loved money, and I loved to count money, and I liked to sort it and organize it, or a psychotherapist, because I was always that kind of mother hen that all my friends would come and talk about their problems. And So I went the therapist route, but I still like to count money. <laughs> but now I try to give more of it away than hoard it like I did as a kid to go buy candy at the store. So anyway, I, I've always been kind of a student of relationships. I love relationship. I think we all need relationships. What I've no noticed in my practice is that probably more than anything else, the kind and quality of people's relationships affects their sense of well-being more than anything else. They come to me for depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, those kinds of things, but it's their relationships. 
that really affect their quality of life. So I am passionate about relationship maturity, and I am in an ongoing process of maturing myself, as we all are. A dear mentor of mine, who's actually here somewhere today, I remember telling her in my mid-30s that I kept hearing God say, we're growing up, and it, you know, very lovingly, not like you're growing up, but we're, we're growing up. And uh, she said, oh, I'm in my 60s, and I'm still hearing God say that. You know, so I was sort of hoping I would arrive someday, but it's one of those things where you know, we're growing up is a lifelong, lifelong pattern. So we're going to talk today about a call to relational maturity. So first and foremost is our overall definition of maturity. It's loving God, loving people, and loving ourselves freely and fully. That's been our definition for the whole series. And today I'm obviously going to talk about loving people. But I really think relational maturity has a lot to do with loving God loving people, and loving yourself. And I'll talk about that more. So first, relationships. We'll talk about why relationships matter. Why? First, God is relational. You can't really spend any time in this book, pretty much go through any page without seeing that God is relational. Our relationship with him, his with us, ours, the, the number of one another verses in the Bible is kind of mind-blowing. Um, and if you really want to blow your mind, think about the Trinity. God has chosen to be in relationship for all the time, eternally. He's always in relationship with himself. I mean, that's sort of crazy that God chose his way of being as being in relationship. One God in three persons, but he's always been and always will be in relationship. Relationships really, really, really matter to God. Um, next... How we treat others is how we treat God. Now, in some ways, that might sound like a stretch, but the, the scripture references I have below, I think, kind of flesh that out. If you think about Matthew 25, that famous verse, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Jesus is taking that personally. What we do to disenfranchised people, we do to him. Paul, on the road to Damascus, or he was Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Meaning, what you're doing to hurt these people, you're actually hurting me, Jesus said. Um, Matthew 5, it talks about before you go and give your gift at the altar, get right with a brother or sister first. That God cares about relationships so much that he actually wants you to get right with other people before you come and worship and give a gift to him. I mean, that is incredible. God really cares about relationships. He's serious about them. And then the first John verse, this is, I believe is the one in your bulletin, and it's in the, in the workbook. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Pretty powerful language. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So how we treat others is how we treat God. Next, how we treat others reflects our own level of maturity. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I kind of like to get off the hook when I have been relationally immature. Well, I yelled at you because you dot, dot, dot. Or I've been punishing you with silence for three days because you're such a jerk. When the reality is, I'm the one who did that behavior. We can't blame our maturity or immaturity or relational capacity on somebody else. How we behave is our responsibility 100%. Now, I'm not saying that how others behave 
you know, that, that we should accept bad treatment or not set boundaries or that they're not responsible for their behavior. Um, but kind of like, you know, if you think about Adam and Eve, Adam kind of saying, she made me eat the apple. We kind of been, have been doing this throughout history. Um, we like to get off the hook. And I believe strongly that um, how we treat others reflects our own level of maturity. And then finally, why relationships matter is love. If you're a student of scripture at all, love is the point. Love is the pinnacle of why we're here and what we were made for. 1 Corinthians 13, the, the famous one we read in weddings all the time, love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, keeps no record of wrongs. Those are all relationship words. Um, love covers over a multitude of sins. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then, obviously, the two greatest commands, love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the point. That's why we're here, and that's why relationships matter. Okay, so now... I'm going to dive into the, the juicy stuff. Um, I'm going to talk about what I see as three key areas of immaturity. Um, I had about 10. <laughs> and really, our capacity for immaturity is sort of vast, in my opinion. I know mine is. Um, so I had to narrow it down to three. Um, so these are sort of the three biggest ones that I see in my practice. I see just in, in churches, in schools, in communities, and frankly, in my own heart. Um, so I sort of picked the three big whoppers. Um, and, you know, I, I really can't go into depth on all of these. This is really kind of a broad brushstroke. So I'd encourage you, if you, if you see yourself in any of this or you, it resonates with you, the, the point of this is to just begin a conversation and hopefully you would flesh that out in your communities with somebody that you trust, prayer ministry, you know, that kind of thing. Um, okay, so here we go. Sign of immaturity number one. Inappropriate expressions of anger or unresolved anger. Anger is one of the things I pretty much see every single day with almost every single one of my clients. It's not always obvious stuff, but some of the signs and symptoms, anger outbursts, rage, that's kind of the, something that we're more you know, familiar with. Um, and sometimes this is not known to anybody but the people closest to you in your own home. Um, Maybe it's sort of that sort of gritted teeth parenting, that kind of stuff, where you just can't control your anger. Um, I believe that not only little kids have tantrums, but we adults have tantrums too. And that's, that's what this is, adult, an adult tantrum. Um, next, passive aggression. This is anger that comes out sideways. Things like sarcastic comments, heavy sighing, um, subtle punishing of people that you're upset with, withdrawal. It's not the overt expressions of anger, but it's sort of eking out somewhere. Next, blame, criticism, and judgment. These are serious relationship destroyers. Criticizing other people, blaming them for what's going on, and lots of judgment. Um, they really do destroy relationships. Entitlement. Um, I think we live in a culture of entitlement. Entitlement is basically a sense that we are owed something. And if we don't get that something, then we're going to punish the other person that we're in a relationship. I see this a lot in marriage counseling, 
and not to not to pick on the guys, but it's you know it's often you know uh, playing five or six hours of video games, and I feel entitled to this because I work so hard, and then maybe the wife feels entitled to more help around the house, and there's just this nasty back and forth kind of conflict, and it's not clean, it's not clear, and a lot of it's based in entitlement. <laughs> Am I reading your mail? Um, so. <laughs> Your client's mail, okay. Um, okay, and um, next is power and control. So this is the use of power to control others or control to control others. Um, I did wanna make just a note here because um, I'm a therapist and I have the floor and so I'm just gonna make a note. Um, but pretty much every week I, I see um, domestic violence and abuse in my office and it's not just out there. It's very rampant in the world but it's also very rampant in the church domestic violence, um, all kinds of abuse. And this is when power and control is used to kind of manipulate. Um, it's, it's not just the, the stuff we see in the paper where it's physical violence, but it's also mental, emotional, name calling, using money, using kids, stuff to kind of control, um, keep somebody else down. And the other thing I believe is that all of us are capable of not only being the victim of that, but also the perpetrator of that. We all have that capacity in our own hearts. So. If those dynamics are going on for you in your home, I'm not talking about that today, but if they are, please seek out some help. Talk to a pastor, talk to an elder, talk to a prayer minister, go see a good Christian counselor. Um, but those things are really not okay with God and need to be addressed. Okay, and, and the next one, I actually forgot to put this on my slide, so I'm just going to say it. I, I apologize, um, but it seemed important enough to mention. I see a lot of anger turned inward where it's not overt and kind of out and other people maybe don't know, but people who have developed a profound hatred of themselves. That tends to manifest in addiction, suicidal ideation, cutting, burning. I have lots of folks I work with who hurt themselves, um, where the anger doesn't have a healthy outlet and so it turns, it turns inward and then manifests in all these unhealthy ways. And again, that's one that might need some help to work with if that's something that, but, but you know, remember, back to our definition, we need to love ourselves freely and fully. That's actually a call from God. And so if you hate yourself, please get with somebody and start working on that. It's a, it's a destroyer to your relationships. Okay, so what we're going to talk about is a mature response. This sounds really depressing, right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but there's hope. Um, there's some things that we can do. Um, first, address the underlying causes of your anger. We talk about this in the therapy world all the time, a little psychotherapy geek moment here, but anger is a secondary emotion. It's not always your primary emotion. In fact, most of the time, it's not your primary emotion. So you have to deal with what's under your anger. So this can be stuff like hurt, fear, shame, um, and it can also be in our culture, especially basic lifestyle stuff. You don't get enough sleep, you drink way too much caffeine, eat too much sugar, and that just sort of ekes out in your relationships in anger. So you've got to deal with what's underneath it. This has been a big part of my journey. I used to struggle with anger a lot more than I do now. Um, and what I realized is I had a lot of unresolved grief, trauma, stuff I had not dealt with. And once I dealt with some of the stuff underneath that, my, your anger just kind of, it's like, it's like a, taking the steam, letting out steam, it sort of just starts to go down. But it takes honesty, and anger's real quick. It's a little safer. Culturally, we kind of just go there. 
Um, so it's, it takes a lot of courage to deal with your unresolved anger and to deal with what's underneath it. It also might mean you need to sleep more, watch less TV, drink less caffeine, and have less sugar. I mean, it, those are bummers, right? But they also might affect the quality of your relationships. The next thing that we can do is express healthy anger directly. The Bible actually talks a lot about anger. Some of the verses that come up a lot of my counseling practice, in your anger, do not sin. It assumes that we will have anger. We, we're, we're made in the image of God. God has anger. Anger is not bad. It's what you do with it. So deal with your anger head on in a healthy way. In your anger, do not sin. Scripture says that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So anger itself is not the issue. It's how you express it. So try to express healthy anger directly. All right, y'all tracking with me? You ready for the number two immaturity area? Okay. Sign of immaturity number two. Conflict avoidance or peace taking. All right. This is going to step on some of your toes, and I'm, I'm really okay with that. Um, and if you don't like what I have to say, I'll give you Pastor Jim's email address. Um, so, some signs of this, speaking of conflict avoidance, right, don't come to me, come to him. Um, so, and, and frankly, I see this a lot in Christian circles, because there's a lot of confusion about what being a Christian looks like. So, to start, being nice, and I have nice in quotation marks, I am not a big fan of the word nice. Um, I mean, once in a while, nice flowers, Kathy got nice shoes, but, you know, as a relationship word. Um, Many people believe that being truly nice or a good Christian is that they have to pretend that everything's okay. Pretending that everything's okay, stuffing it down and letting it leak out sideways, that is nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> nowhere. It, being, you know, long-suffering, being willing to be patient, um, that, that's in the Bible, but, but not pretending stuff isn't there. Um, and certainly if you spend any time with Jesus, he was not nice. Okay, um, so next sign of immaturity, people-pleasing. This is basically caring about what other people think or longing for their acceptance and opinion of you more than being honest and truthful. Caring about other people's, you know, opinion of you more than speaking the truth in love. And we all do this. This is a really hard one, um, but I think we got to get honest about what our motivations are. Next, fear of conflict. I come across this a lot in my counseling practice. People have a fear of it. They think conflict equals bad. Conflict is scary. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. Um, when really, I'd love to propose to you that conflict is an opportunity. It's not bad. It's not, not, not nice. It's just an opportunity. It's how you handle it. Most of my most meaningful relationships have had conflict. Any good marriage has had conflict. Most intimacy is formed in times of conflict. So we need to challenge that myth that conflict is bad. And finally, this one, and this one is the one that kind of makes me tremble a little bit, we have to deal with the belief that conflict has no cost. It does have a cost. I think this is the biggest lie of them all. If I just avoid this, everybody will be happy and everything will be fine. That's not true. Introduce you to a quote, one of my favorite and also uncomfortable quotes. When we will not do our own suffering, 
others around us must. Richard Rohr, he's a kind of a father of spiritual formation. So what this means is if I'm not willing to do my own suffering, meaning if I'm not willing to grow up, the people around me are going to have to suffer for me. And you have to acknowledge this if you're a conflict avoider. So some examples. Let's say I have difficulty saying no. I'm a people pleaser. So when people ask me to do stuff, I want to say yes all the time. So I say yes, 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 yes. But then I'm frazzled. I'm irritable. So who pays the price for that? Me on some level. My family, the clerk at the grocery store who I'm cranky with because I'm so burnt out. There is a cost to conflict avoidance, and someone will pay it. And if it's not you, it's going to be somebody else. Um, another example, let's say like within a church community. And this, uh, this again, this is totally hypothetical, so if this happens to be something else, <laughs> I'm like, well. Um, so if it happens to be something in one of your small groups, that's not on purpose. So let's say you're in a small group, and you're developing a relationship with somebody, and they begin to call you five, six times a week, and it's really starting to get on your nerves. Okay? What most conflict avoiders would do is to just kind of begin to take less of those calls, check their caller ID before they answer the phone, kind of slowly retreat a little bit. You know, They don't want to be mean, right? And they want to look nice. Well, what happens? That person then feels hurt, rejected, so they're paying some of that cost. And then you know what they're going to do? They're going to go on and repeat the exact same behavior with somebody else because you weren't loving enough to say, hey, Calling me five or six times a week is a little bit too much for me. Could we maybe plan a once a week phone call? I'd really enjoy that more. Not that hard, right? And you've lovingly showed them what maturity looks like and what relationship with you looks like. I believe that we're called to do this kind of stuff way more with each other than we do because we want to look nice, but we've actually not served our brother, and, our brother or sister. And there's countless examples of this. So. The, the basic point I'm trying to make is not speaking truth as a cost, and we need to count that cost. Okay, so a mature response. True peacemaking. What this looks like. Tolerate short-term discomfort or the awkwardness of conflict for the long-term gain of truth and love. And I can tell you, I've been practicing a lot of these things for a long time. I'm certainly not perfect at it. When you get good at it, I've had so many people, I'm a, I'm a boss to many, many people, where they've said to me, man, you just said something really hard, but it just sounded so nice. You know, like, it, it doesn't have to be awful. If you do it in love, it's just, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Um, so tolerate that short-term discomfort. Challenge your beliefs about conflict. It is loving when it's done well. It can be one of the most deeply Christian things that you do, is to speak the truth in love. Next, acknowledge the cost of conflict avoidance. We already talked about this, but, but really be honest about it. If you're a people pleaser or conflict avoider, acknowledge that there is a cost to you or someone else. And then finally, speak the truth in love. Um, oh, one more quote, I really, I love this. It's not even, a, I don't even know if this is a quote, it's just a good idea. Um, love is not love without truth. Truth is not truth without love. You know, I, I asked my husband's permission to share this, but a little kind of story about us that fleshes this out. 
Because um, I, I really believe maturity, whether it's relationship maturity, emotional maturity, financial, whatever, we all have our different areas to mature. Um, when we came into our marriage, we've been friends for, I think, 22 years, married now for 16. He was a big, fat piece faker, big time. And I came from a family that was, we were conflict seekers. Like, <laughs> and he, we went over to, to visit my, a couple of my sisters one time. We were out in Oregon, and we were having this big discussion. Hands were flying. We're Italian. Hands were flying, you know, big, you know, intense conversation. And afterward, he was like, oh, my goodness, honey, are you okay? I was like, what are you talking about? That big fight that you just had. I was like, oh, that wasn't a fight. That was just a discussion, you know, and, and it, for him, it was just like, ah, uh, and I, he was soon to see what a fight actually looked like. Um, <laughs> so our journey really has been, and I have to say, my husband has become one of the most beautiful peacemakers that I have ever known, but he had to deal with the fact that he was a peacemaker, and he had to own it, and he had to do a lot of work around it, he had to tolerate that discomfort, he had to do all of that. Um, and he, because he realized, I have to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means I have to be a true peacemaker. And the peacemaker part was about himself and people pleasing. For me, the conflict seeking anger was what got things done in my family and you know, confronted and all of that, but it wasn't always very loving. And so for me, I've had to just frequently, when I need to do a confrontation or need to talk to somebody about something, I spend a lot of time in prayer. I get with Jesus. Because I don't want to do it until I deeply love that person. And once I deeply love them, then I can do the truth and love thing. I don't, I don't personally struggle as much with conflict avoidance, but I didn't always do it in a very nice way. So our maturity journey has really been different. We've kind of come from two sides and both come to more of a peacemaking, kind of that justice and mercy, kiss each other idea. All right. Next and final sign of immaturity. An unwillingness to be vulnerable, or image management. We all do this on some level all the time. Um, and it's just, it's not like we're going to stop doing this, but this is about maybe doing less of this. We live in a really image-conscious society. We often want to relate to people based on how we want them to see us and think of us versus who we really are. So I know for me, I want people to think I'm really together, I'm really smart, I'm really organized, my house is always clean. Well. That's, you know, my son's here. He can attest to the fact that that ain't so true. Um, but I want people to think that, so I'm trying to manage, manage my image. And so um, we really need to try to have relationships that are based more on the real and not the image. You know, we do this just even in little ways. I mean, just even pay attention to it after the service when you're chatting with people. So let's say I'm talking to Matt and Brenda, good friends of ours, okay? And I say, you know, I was watching the show the other night. I mean, I don't... I don't watch a whole lot of TV, I was just watching this one show, right? All of it, I've just managed my image, right? Not, not that I can't do that, that's fine, but I want to make a point that they know I'm not one of those people that watches lots of TV. When the reality is with Matt and Brenda, I could say, oh my goodness, I have been binge watching this show on Hulu for days, and they would still love me. They might say, let's talk about your TV consumption, because they are going to be peacemakers, you know, not conflict avoiders, but, you know, we don't have to be managing our image quite so much. So um, I'll share a little story with you here that really hit this home for me a couple of years ago. Um, I was at the playground with my kids, um, my, at my kids' school, and my kids were playing with another woman's kids. 
Um, and she started opening up to me about a very painful loss that they had just suffered. And it was a loss similar to something Andrew and I had suffered a couple of years before. And so we started talking and, and, and connecting. And I felt this tug to invite her over to see if she wanted to come over to, to pray, just to get to know her a little better. But I knew that my house was not clean. Like, you know, embarrassingly not clean. And I didn't have any food at my house. Like, we hadn't been grocery shopping in forever. And I just, the tug was kind of strong, and so I finally just was like, okay, I'll, I'll just invite her over. So I did. She came over. We ended up spending the whole afternoon together. Andrew came home. The three, us three adults sat at the table and ate a box of macaroni and cheese, because that's all we had. And we prayed, and we cried, and we just really connected. And on the way out the door, this, this, this never left me, she said in tears, thank you so much for doing this, because the women at my church never get together, and they never get together because our houses have to be perfect. And my house looks, and she looks like your house, and she looked at my living room with the toys everywhere. And so we never get together. And it just, it, it struck me that we need to choose vulnerability more often. I would not have had that beautiful experience. And that family has become very good friends of ours. Their kids are back and forth with each other. Their house is a mess all the time. You know, they're, we're back and forth all the time. And it doesn't matter. It's real relationship. So a mature response to a fear of vulnerability or, or difficulty with it. Choose real relationship versus image management. The best relationships are based on who we really are, not on the image that we're trying to put forward. Reject our culture's obsession with image and choose to be real more often. Choose vulnerability over and 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 over. It, it's a hard thing to do and we need to do it a lot. Um, and with that, I would say choose vulnerability with safe people. Don't, you know, uh, the internet and Facebook, whatever, people are like the, the, the culture of oversharing. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, sharing your struggles, sharing your sins, sharing a worry you have about your kid. Um, you know, I've been wanting to have you over, but my house is never clean. Well, come over anyway, and let's just order pizza. You know, that kind of vulnerability. Choose it over and over and over and over, and you'll notice that you'll actually have a, a quality of relationships will increase. We're all a mess. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but we're all a mess. And so we'll just share our messiness together. Um, and then finally, and, and this is a little bit hard. This is really a talk all unto itself. Um, shame. You, I really could spend hours on this, um, so I'll just touch on it. Shame is a very destructive emotion. Shame says, it's not kind of a healthy guilt, like I did something wrong and I'm going to go fix it. Shame says, I'm flawed. There's something really wrong with me. If they knew X about me, they would reject me. A fear of being found out. And we all sort of have shame triggers going off all the time, all day long. Um, but what we need to do more and more is to try to treat that underlying shame and get with people, kind of force ourselves to get with people who won't reject us if they find out about X that maybe will love us in the midst of X or help us with that and not judge us. Um, and this one, again, in my therapy office, I see this constantly. I would recommend, if, if this is a deep one for you, a lot of self-loathing, a lot of deep shame, to really start to work on that with somebody else, whether it's a therapist or a, a mentor, that kind of thing. Shame 
is the most toxic human emotion that we have, and it's a real relationship buster. Okay, so our final mature response, and this goes with everything that I've talked about today. Run to Jesus. The task of growing up can be really overwhelming, but we aren't asked to do it alone. God longs to help us grow, and he's more than able to mature us relationally. So ask him to help you grow. Ask him to help you love those around you who are hard to love. Ask him for courage to face the messiness and discomfort of real relationships. And embrace your deep dependency on him to be relationally mature. Frankly, the call to be relationally mature is really beyond our capacity. We can't do it without the help of God. And so just embracing that, you are profoundly dependent on him to grow up. I am profoundly dependent on him to grow up. What he's calling us to, to love our enemies, to forgive, to deal with all of our feelings, all of that, that's, that's just more than we can bear without him. But with him, we're unstoppable. So I'd like to end with a, a quote that has been, um, kind of captures some of what I'm saying, and it's been kind of a life quote for me, the Mother Teresa quote. Um, and it's a reminder that so relational maturity, we got to be careful to not get bogged down by what other people are doing. Relational maturity is really all about Jesus is our standard for relational maturity, not somebody else. You can have mentors and people you look up to, but he's the standard. Who he is in relationship is the standard. So uh, this quote was given to me by a coworker a number of years ago after I went through a very, very painful betrayal in a work-related situation. Somebody I had invested tons of time and energy into, um, and it, it, they had been lying to me for a long time about some things, and I was pretty devastated. I was really hurt super embarrassed and humiliated, angry. Just it was a very, very painful situation. And um, by God's grace, you know, so I went, I went running one day with this on my heart. That's sometimes, sometimes I sweat out my, my stress. That's how I deal with some of my big emotions. So I went running, and I can remember the exact spot on my street where I heard the Lord say to me, everything you did for them, you did for me. And that was it. Like, all of a sudden, like, all that stuff just sort of fell off. That's all I needed to hear. Because everything I did wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't a waste of my energy. It wasn't humiliating because I did it for Jesus. And interestingly, with this person, I went on to practice, by God's grace, a lot of what we talked about. I was very honest about my anger. I required a very clear reconciliation process. I was not conflict avoided. I dealt with all my deep feelings of shame and embarrassment. I had a team at work that walked me through all that. It was, it was very painful, um, very vulnerable. And this person, interestingly, was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian college, um, and came to me later and said, you forgiving me and being willing to be in relationship with me, um, it, they actually became a Christian for the first time. They'd, they'd been in the culture, but they never actually knew Jesus, and they said, how you treated me. You were really raw and really angry and really in my face, and you're still here. 
and that was God. That was not me. I, hadn't, I did not have the capacity. I'm a hothead. I, I totally could. I mean, I could have ended that, and, and, and I could have been right. I mean, it, sometimes we do need to end relationships that aren't un unhealthy. I'm not saying forgive everybody. I, I mean, forgive everybody, but I'm not saying um, be in relationship with toxic people or, you know, get beat up. But when God's leading the show, pretty amazing things can happen. So people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best that you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Thank you, Sarah opening your heart to us today. The spiritual practice that we have as part of this um, particular growing area of growing in maturity is the spiritual practice of treasuring others. And so invite you to um, pick up a booklet in the back or look through your booklet about that because that'll be an opportunity to kind of put into practice what we've heard today. And um, I think probably all of us can say that um, our mail got read today because probably all of us have one, two, or perhaps the trifecta. Um, and uh, of those, I know that I can say yes, yes, and yes. And also can say yes, the Lord has been growing us in maturity. And that's part of our... Um, that's part of our commitment to you as a congregation is that as a leadership team, we are committed to continuing to grow in maturity. I've said it before, I said it last week about our elders. It's true about our ministry coordinators as well, our mosaic leaders. We live transparently with one another. We live in a place uh, where we truly do step into those places of discomfort, even around conflict, and are able to have those healthy, hard conversations with one another. Um, we're, you know, continuing to work on addressing those areas around anger that might reside within us or that's in the life of the body in different places or comes out sideways. And so we're committed to keep growing up. just want you to know that. And uh, this is one of the reasons that, you know, Sarah as an elder here is because she's mature and living out this life and carries that concern for us as a congregation. And that's what elders do. They're providing covering and care for our life as a body. So thank you, Sarah, honoring that word today, wherever you, there you are. Thank you. And um, so we're going to respond, um, and I will give a benediction in a moment. But before I do, 
Uh, we're going to sing a prayer together. It's Go ahead and put up the words um, for, Lord, I need you. Um, maybe this is an area that really touched something for you, and you say, yeah, Lord, I need you today in this place. Um, this altar is going to be open for you to come, and um, I'm going to invite you to to just come and bring your heart to him today. And uh, then we're going to pray the blessing of the Lord. And if you want to come and be with somebody in prayer, if you want to come, when I was talking about leaders, if you want to come to a leader around things, come to the pastors, come to the elders, come to ministry coordinators, come to Mosaic leaders, come to Livestream's prayer ministry. They'll pray with you. They'll stand alongside you Monday night. Uh, Monday nights, they have confidential prayer appointments, two-hour prayer appointments. They'd be, you know, they're skilled in, in, in tilling up that earth and allowing the Lord to work in. So let's stand together. And uh, if you just want to come to this altar and just meet Jesus here, you need to run to Jesus today. It's really safe to come and run to him here. These... This altar is designed to express the arms of God around covering. So just come and pour out your heart. Let's just open our hands. Lord Jesus, this is our confession. As we learned last week, confession is just coming in alignment with your truth. This is saying the same thing that you're saying. And you have said, to speak the truth in love. You have said that if we love you, we must also love one another. And you've said that if we love one another, we will love one another as we love ourselves. So God, we want to come into a new place of freedom and fullness, Lord, in your love here in this house. So Lord, we're welcoming you with fear and trembling to grow us up into who you have called us to be as men and women, that we might have a legacy, Lord God, to those who are coming behind us, those who aren't yet here, that they might experience that love for you and for others for ourselves, free and full. Do the work, Lord, for we cannot, but you can in us. Your power is mighty and great, and you are tender and gentle, and you are good and faithful and persistent, and you never let go. You are relentless. You are relentless. And now I pray that this very hour, this very day, you may be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy and goodness will chase you down every day of your life for his glory and all God's people say, amen. amen.